this, as I introduce our new series, I've got the privilege of doing that this morning. There's some guys that are going to come. I, you probably smell some popcorn, right, as you came in? Smells like the movies. <laughs> so we made you guys some popcorn this morning. Not because it's a show, but because we're going into a new series called God in the Movies. And we've done this in the past, but um, today we're starting that series again. Our, and our motivation, motivation behind the guys can come out and hand out the popcorn now, yeah, uh, when they're ready. Um, but the motivation behind this kind of series is not just entertainment. It's not just for mere entertainment's sake or to be novel. Our motivation behind, uh, behind this kind of thing is to reveal the divine in the realm of the arts. Earlier this year, we did a similar thing with God and the Music. And the driving force behind this, both, both these kinds of sermon series, is to demonstrate that God's presence can be discerned and found within the creative expressions of humanity. The things that we do, our passions, those things can generate, we can find God in that. And if you are like me, my, you know, the daily mundane of existence can often strip away meaning, right? Uh, for me, you know, waking up in the morning, rushing to get my daughter ready for school, getting her fed, getting her hair done, that's my job at home. Uh, <laughs> and, then, um, and, rush, and then my wife rushes her to school, and then I get myself ready, and then, you know, you get to work, you have your to-do list, your admin, all these things, and you rat race to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And if you're like me, often that can feel like we are losing meaning, you know, you feel like, what is life all about? Is it just losing hair for mating, making the next appointment in time or uh, intoxicating yourself on coffee <laughs> to stay awake? What is the meaning of life? And um, even if your hustle doesn't look exactly like me, I think we can agree that we all experience that to some extent, uh, that we feel like the daily mundane can strip away meaning. Um, it is in this hustle where I believe that the arts and Christian spirituality steps in by giving us meaning, giving us vocabulary that goes beyond the mundane. Uh, and I believe Christian spirituality entwined with the arts, be it music, arts, or even the movies, can provide us with this profound vocabulary it enables us to articulate the depth of our emotions, uh, our heartbreaks, our grief, love, uh, and just the undeniable beauty of everyday existence and life and the creation around us. It speaks into our fears, our anxieties, our hopes, and our dreams. Uh, and it generates meaning, hope, and purpose. So why do we merge Christian spirituality with the arts? in the sermon ser series? I think, I mean, it's simple. We want to guide you towards discovering God, meaning and beauty within the very fabric of, uh, of the things that we do, the things we love, especially when we break away from the hustle, the daily mundane, the things like, wa things like watching a movie or listening to a song. We want you to see how you can find God in that. Now, before I reveal to you my movie that I'm going to expose, I want you to sit back, 
close your eyes for a second and imagine a scenario with me for a second. Um, so use your imagination for a second. I'll guide you through the scenario. So sit back, close your eyes, maybe pop a popcorn in there. Uh, but imagine you've been arrested for stealing a loaf of bread in order to feed your starving niece. And for this crime, you are condemned to a life of heartbreak, heartbreaking and backbreaking labor, constant abuse and senseless violence. And after nearly 20 years, you are released. But you are shunned by the world as, as a marked ex-convict. You lost connection with your family and your loved ones due to your long incarceration. And you can't find work because your identity documents reveal you as the ex-convict that you are. You are angry at the injustice, and rightfully so. You're angry at the cruelty you have experienced in life. And so you choose to steal again. Only this time, you steal from a church. This time you steal from a priest who took you in and gave you a lodging. And you run away and you're caught with the stolen goods. The police take you straight back to the church and he takes you to the priest. But instead of accusing you of theft, the priest goes back and gives more valuables. And he hands it to you. And he says, you have forgotten these things that I've gifted you with. And he sets you free from law, from captivity and this encounter with the priest changes your life, and you go on to become a pillar of your community. You go on to adopt a girl from a destitute woman who was abandoned by a rich lover and who has, given, um, who has given her all in order to look after her daughter. She has sold her clothes, her jewelry, her hair, her teeth, and even herself to provide for this child. And on her deathbed, you commit to caring for this child too. And in order to provide and care for this child the best you can, you take on a new identity. You run away, run away from your past, but in doing so, you've broken your parole and you've set the police back onto your, onto your trail. And finally, your past finds you and you are discovered by a ruthless police officer who pursues you at every corner, who can't let you go and who sets you on the run for years, always looking over your shoulder. He threatens all the beauty and the good that you've become. He threatens the safety and the uh, uh, that you have become to this beautiful daughter that you have adopted and grown to love so deeply. Now imagine you get to a point where you bump into this police officer, this unforgiving policeman, and you clash and you find yourself in a scuffle with a pistol in your hand and pointing at him. What would you do? This, is, this scenario is, this, is, is the story of Jean Valjean from the, movie, from the book, movie, and musical Les Miserables. And this is what I will be looking at today. Because I believe Victor Hugo wrote this book in France in the midst of serious social upheaval, systematic injustice, poverty, economic inequality, and apathy from the middle and upper classes towards the plight of the poor. These were the conditions that led to the French Revolution, but also the conditions that led Hugo to write this book. And the title of this book actually translates to The Wretched Ones, or The Outcasts, Les Miserables. And the power of the story lies here. It shows us how God works in both individuals, like you and me, but also how individuals like you and me are called to change systems, to, to create the world for mutual flourishing. And you see, as much as, as this story follows Jean Valjean, this ex-convict, and his personal transformation, we see a story of widespread societal injustice and suffering 
leading to social unrest and even revolution. And in this way, Hugo offers us a way as individuals to assess and to scrutinize both our hearts as individuals, but also the worlds we live in, and how, the, how those two worlds can interplay and affect one another. And in this way, the story actually gives us a new imagination for a future. How we can flourish both as individuals, but as a society as large as well. And, in, yeah. and I think in a, in a way, Victor Hugo gives us a way of imagining God's kingdom and what God's story of redemption looks like in this world. And so firstly, we'll look at the personal transformation and then we'll look at the systemic one lot later. So Jean Valjean was imprisoned for 19 plus years for stealing a loaf of bread. He was imprisoned and then he went... Um, and when he was released, he was, uh, he, was, he was more imprisoned than he was before. So when Jean Valjean walked away from, uh, from the backbreaking labor and, um, and imprisonment and he was freed, he was more imprisoned than he was before when he got locked up. Because even though he was a free man now, in this next phase of his life, he was, more, he was chained to his anger, to his res resentment and to his hatred to the injustices he faced. And we all agree that he has a right to be angry, right? Uh, but this, this started to consume himself, his very being. He's rejected by society, and he's angry. But this tells us a story of ourselves a little bit as well. It tells us of a story of humanity's primal nature almost. Because when we have been wronged in life, then our impulse is to demand retribution. We want to see the, the, um, the offenders uh, punished for their crimes. But in this story, we see a man, Jean Valjean, coming face to face with mercy and grace. When the priest chooses to forgive and bless him, even after he's told from him, and we see the, in that we see the power of grace and mercy and forgiveness and and how that can produce fruit. How, how that can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of fruit. A, a destitute spot of no growth, no hope, no future, nothing. And it takes it and it transforms it to create a beautiful garden that produces so much fruit. Javert, the police officer who pursues Jean Valjean throughout the movie, represents the legalist. The, the law-abiding citizen, and he's unable to question his moral code. He has dedicated his life to this code, and he doesn't see anything outside of it. Everything has to function within that. And as a result, he has imprisoned himself to something as well, to a life that cannot imagine grace, who can't imagine forgiveness, mercy, or even love. And there's, there's this powerful scene in the movie where Jean Valjean does, like the scenario I gave you earlier, where he does clash with um, Javert. And he has a pistol pointed at him. And he's able to kill this man who threatens all the beauty that he is, all the goodness that he represents. But he chooses to forgive and let him go. And Javert can't imagine that world. He can't imagine forgiveness because it clashes completely with his worldview to extend mercy 
to receive mercy. And so it, it, he couldn't bring himself, his heart so hard that he can't bring himself to accept that. And he jumps off a cliff and kills himself. Pride is, is ugly. It can't breed. It can't receive grace. And to, to see this inability to accept that grace just drove him to kill himself. And this is a truth about us too, because sometimes we have these strict moral codes that we bind ourselves to, that we impose on other people as well, and we forget that grace and mercy and forgiveness look like. We forget what that looks like. And church can be so easily become a place where we all pretend that we have it all worked out. And so we make it impossible for people from the outside to come in. But in the process, we become more like Javert, the police officer. We go out and we hunt everything we deem evil. But in the process, we harden our hearts to people who suffer and need our love, who needs mercy, who needs grace. And so instead of transforming the world, we actually cause more harm to the world. We can so easily reduce people to ideas. And so in this way, we justify ourselves when we cause harm to them. But Jean Valjean, in his encounter with this priest, shows us, the priest shows us what mercy looks like, what grace looks like. It's costly. It hurts us. Forgiveness is not easy. But in this encounter, we see the transformation that the world needs. The world doesn't need more violence. It doesn't need more retribution. It doesn't need more anger and hatred. The world needs grace and mercy. Jean Valjean, in human terms, had every right to be angry. I'm angry for him, seeing the injustice he faced. He had every right to seek vengeance and to the injustice he, for the injustices he faced. But, encounter, but he encounters the face of God. He encounters mercy and, um, in this priest who chooses to forgive him. He meets grace and he meets mercy. The world will tell you that this is weakness. You're letting the big man win. Giving up the fight. You're weak. But I don't think, I think that's the harder part. Not fighting fire with fire. Standing for what's right, even in the midst when it's in the right, is hard to discern. Robert Kearns was an engineer and an inventor. And I think his life illustrates a little bit of this point. He is most famous for inventing the, the windscreen wiper of the car. Um, what an awesome, like how many lives have that saved, eh? Um, but the thing is, he, he, he showed his patent to Ford Motor Company, this global superpower of a company, right? And they stole his idea. And he was livid, because that's a lot of money <laughs> that he could have made with that patent. Um, and he's not just famous for creating that, he's, he's also famous for the court case that ensued after that. So he took Ford Motor Company to, a, to court, and this court case lasted for 22 years. And in this 22 years, this man dedicated all of his energy, all of his, um, you know, all of his waking time in anger and resentment. These guys have done me in. And rightfully so, right? 
could have changed his life. Had they just given him a percentage, he would have been well off. But no, they took his patent. But in this 22 years, he, he lost his wife and his six children because they, can't, they couldn't live with that stress anymore. So at what cost? What is the harder thing to do <laughs> in that scenario? Take the blow, let the injustice go, forgive, let go, or, you know, and then just keep your family, or fight it. And I think we see in his life, there's a movie made about him as well, so if you look for that, go look for Robert Kearns. I can't remember what that movie is called. But you see, anger and resentment has this power to change our hearts. It grips our hearts, it pulls us down, it makes us dark and ugly. It makes us nasty. It makes us to turn other people. Uh, it turns us into ugly people. But mercy and grace has this power to free us. It enables to empower ourselves, uh, to free us from the chains of our heart that our hearts create. Especially when we know we are right. Especially in those situations, it's not easy. It's not rolling over so the big guy wins. Setting yourself free. You you see anger. It's as one theologian puts it. He says that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. We do that to ourselves all the time if we don't forgive. It kills us by turning our hearts into stone. It turns us into Javert, the, the relentless police officer who couldn't let go, who's binding himself to this moral code. So this is the first lesson I think we can extract from this movie. We are left with two journeys in life, one of law-abiding diligence, that is a life of moralism that sees grace as a threat to stability and comfort and harmony and beauty, a way of life that sees forgiveness as weakness, a way of life that prefers rules, principles, values, politics, and even theology over people. We can't love if we choose ideas over people. So this is the first lesson. Or we choose the harder path of mercy and grace. As one line puts it in the movie, to love another person is to see the face of God. Or in other words, in the words of John Wesley, who started the Methodist movement, he says, one of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself person standing visibly before us this is the hard way the way of mercy the costly way of mercy and grace that we see in the actions of the priest who let the thief Jean Valjean go free instead of having him locked up again because grace has the potential to turn the hardest stone into a life-giving fruit-bearing garden And it brings me to my second point that we can extract from this movie. And, and here I want to look at a story that Hugo tells of societies, of organizations, of um, places that rely on politics of inequality, and Hugo's call for the politics of God's kingdom. He calls us into that. And firstly, I want to look at a song from the movie, and it's called, Do You Hear the People Sing? So if you... Guys, can put it up there. Um.
even though Hugo was writing the story to France at the time, he was also telling a story of our own day. Because our society very much reflects the society and the struggles that France faced before, the French, before and after the French Revolution. Our own social and economic inequality um, is rooted in 340 years of people looking past one another, not seeing people. It's rooted in 20 odd years of unre uh, uh, corruption, and therefore the contemporary situation we find ourselves in cultivates an environment that's very much um, a hotbed for something similar to what Hugo's France looked like. And here lies a challenge for us from Hugo, and that is to see the Les Miserables, to see the hurting and the crying in our, in, our, in our world, to hear the songs of angry men, to see the people who are used, abused and rejected, and to show them mercy and grace, to stand for what is right against um, politics that seeks to undo evils of the past, to stand for um, policies that seek to undo evils of the past, and to, it calls us to be prophetic in the present, to call out injustice where we see it, where people are used. Because we see so the songs of angry men are all around us, and we are called to the way of the priest to hear it, to hear their cries. So we are called to the way of Jean Valjean, to live a life of mercy. And we call to the way of Jesus and his kingdom. And I know I'm speaking here to people who have experienced and seen um, fruits of revolutionary, um, you know, we were in 2021, I drove into the unrest. And that's what I'm talking about here. This, you know, what I'm standing and speaking here to you guys, this is not just a fun sermon every week, 20 minutes of, um, this is real, like, this is when the rubber hits the road, when our faith hits the road, it's hard. It's not easy. So we're speaking into real situations, and I know it's not easy. But we need to hear the songs of angry men. And we need to do something about it within the areas of our influence. Because those things don't happen in a vacuum. If we let politicians and corporations run this government, private hospitals, private um, security firms, all these corporations, if we only let them run the country, we're in for trouble. We need to cultivate an imagination and work for spaces and the areas of our influences. If it's in those spaces, then awesome. And this is where our song is different from the song of angry men. This is where we bring in hope. We don't sing the songs of angry men, we hear them, and we listen to them, and we have empathy to them. We don't have apathy towards it. We have a song of hope born out of mercy and grace, a song of God's kingdom, and it calls us into the plight of Les Miserables, into the plight of those who are affected by our society, by the social ills of our society. And if you're looking for God, that is where you'll find Him. How do I know that? Because that's where Jesus was. He was with the rejected and the outcasts. He hung out with the social outcasts. He showed them mercy and grace where the, the religious people didn't. We see Jesus going to people that the religious elites didn't even want to touch. But the cry of the kingdom lies in hope because as much as Jesus demonstrated a willingness to forgive 
those who caused him to suffer and die. He also knew that anger and resentment, the songs of angry men, binds us in anger and it turns us into ugly people. It takes us to the battlefields of war and violence, but Jesus also defeated death, not through the sword, but through peace, through forgiveness, through mercy, through grace. He showed us that to live by the sword will lead to death by the sword. This is the way of God's kingdom. It is a refusal to play by the rules of this world. Rules that seek to destroy and conquer. Rules that seek to fight fire with fire. The song of God calls us to the mercy song. The one of grace and peace. It is the one that seeks to bring people together to see one another. Not as ideas or politics but as people made in the image of God. It is a song of the priest, it's a song of Jean Valjean, and it's a sing song of Jesus and his kingdom. It is my song. It's the only song I find worth believing in a God. If it's not for this song, I can't believe in God. Because then we have a God of like Zeus, who's ready to throw thunderbolts at everything. We have a God who's a lamb, who goes into... Uh, into He's reigned reign not in glory on the thrones, but on a cross. It's a God who suffers with us, who shows us He knows our suffering. In a world full of violence and conflict, I think that's the only song worth singing. It's the only song that gives me reason to believe in God, in a loving God. But before I conclude, I want to show you the epilogue of this movie. Uh, it's a scene, it's a final song, it kind of breaks into the similar refrain of the earlier song, but it's have, it has different lyrics. So look out for these words. Look out. Um, so in this we see Jean Valjean on his deathbed. He's being surrounded by his adopted daughter, Cosette. Um, and he's being ushered into heaven by her mother who's passed away. And by the priest, he's being ushered into heaven. And then the revolution is broke, breaks out in their song. Uh, the ones who died in, on the battlefield. But they're singing a new song. They're singing God's song. They're singing the song of God's kingdom, the song of mercy and grace, a song of hope. And it is in this song that we find our call, a call away from hate towards love, a call away from um, anger and towards mercy and grace, a call away from violence and retribution and ugly fighting towards peace and mutual flourishing. Before I play it, listen out for these lyrics. It goes like this. Do you hear the people sing? And I'm not a good singer. Lost in the valley of the night. It is the music of a people who are climbing to the light. For the wretched of the earth, there is a flame that never dies. Even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. They will live again in freedom in the garden of the Lord. We will walk behind the plowshare and we will put away the sword. The, cha the chain will be broken and the men will have their reward. The reason I want you to look out for these lyrics is to point out that everyone is in a form of captivity. We all are. We all fight, but we, we will remain in that captivity until we see we need the grace of God. 
What is your captivity? Is it the captivity of apathy and legalism like Javert? The police, office, or the police officer who couldn't let go, who couldn't let his moral code go in order to see the human, to see love, to see grace, would rather kill himself to accept it. Die in pride. But unless you find the freedom to demonstrate the beauty and mercy, and as the lyrics go, climb to the light, then we will always live in the hell we create for ourselves and for one another. Or are you in the bondage of angry men sitting and can't forgive, can't let go, can't, and you bind yourself in that hell? Climb to the light. Go to God. He's there. Or are you sitting here, you think you're so bad that you can't be forgiven, that you've done so many bad things that God's grace is not acceptable to you. He will not accept me, you might say. That's not... God's grace is always standing like this. This is why the, you know, Christ is standing on the cross, hanging on the cross, arms wide open. He is enough. He's done enough to bring you in. You, are, you can find forgiveness, but you need to climb to his light. You need to accept that grace and forgiveness and not die in the pride like Javert. So let's look at this final clip. And I will end with that.
It is our call to reach out, like the song says, to the light of God's grace. It's only then when we can choose to lay down the sword and pick up the plowshare and fr sow fruit. It's only then when we can absor absorb the blows like Jesus did and forgive. It's only then when we can show mercy. It's only then when we can change our societies. Because it's when we accept God's grace that we start reflecting it. And we go out into this world and we change the world in our areas of influence. And we become the kingdom citizens of God's kingdom. And we, become, and we usher in God's kingdom in that way. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come here and we are challenged by these words, by this movie. And we are challenged by the themes in it. It shows us that faith is real. It's not just some fairy pie-in-the-sky ideas, but it actually works itself out in the world around us. Lord, I pray that through this we would see your face more clearly. Through accepting your grace, we would have hearts changed from stone to and go to towards fruit-bearing gardens, Lord. That we would go into this world and not just have ideas in our mind, but have theology that changes the world, that brings peace and harmony and goodness in a world filled with anger, violence, and corruption. In a, in a world filled with pain, sadness, and sorrow, may we become agents of peace and harmony and reconciliation and goodness. May we show them to you, Lord, the one who shows us the way, away from angry songs and the songs towards hate, but not away from angry songs so that we don't hear them, away that is amongst them, hearing the songs. I pray that you would lead us in that way. Amen.